Man, God is so glorious, isn't He? So beautiful, so full of majesty and hope and life. And He is not playing hide and seek with us this morning. He is not distant. He is He's here. He's present. So this morning as we as we go into the Word together, I, I want to pray over you and I want to pray over myself that we would taste and see that He's good and that we would hear all that He has for us. Let's pray. Father, You are, as we say all the time, and God, just because we say it all the time doesn't mean it's any less true. God, Lord, You are the greatest of all time. You're the King of the world. And just the fact that you invited us into your story, into your beautiful story, is incredible. And we should stand in awe, God. We should fall in awe at your feet, at the reality that you want us, and you love us, and you desire us. And God, you're just, you're so good. So today as we come before you, I, I do pray that you would just open the word for us, God. Lord, I realize today how futile I am, God, how finite I am, God, how weak my words are, God, Lord, I am just a man who blows it all the time, who is completely dependent on you. So as I pray for the congregation, God, and myself, that you would open our ears, God, I pray for my own heart this morning, Jesus, that you would, you would intercede through, on my behalf for these words, God, that it would be your words and not my words. It would be your agenda and not my agenda. It would be your heart and not my heart, God. Lord, that it be an expression of who you are through the word of God this morning. We love you for it. We desperately have to have it, and we need it this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody together said, amen. Well, it is, it is, it is Father's Day, and um, uh, I know for some of you, it, it's, it's a day, uh, it's a painful day. Um, uh, it's a day of sorrow and, and hurt, but I would challenge you to remember today that there is a Heavenly Father who is compassionate, who loves you, and who is mindful of even your heavy heart maybe today. And for those of you, it was already said earlier, for those of you that, that have a, a father present that you could talk to, that you could embrace today, could remind that you love them, I, I would encourage you to do that. And I, I want to say this. Um, uh, I wrote this last night, and, uh, and I thought about it just before we go into the message. My dad, I'll, I'll never forget this. It was crazy. I was, as I was putting just kind of the going over my notes last night, and I thought about when I was in the fourth grade, and I'm just letting you guys into my life for just a second, and I was in 4-H, and, um, and there was this competition for public speaking, and uh, as a fourth grader, I, I don't really know how I was at, at speaking or what kind of boldness I had, but um, I'll never forget, my dad was like, hey, you're in, you're in 4-H, and you're, you're going to public speak, so why don't you talk about mummification? And looking back, I'm like, mummification. All right. And, and, and I'll never forget this. My, my dad encouraged me to do the public speaking thing in 4-H. And, and uh, we went to Albany from Lee County to Albany to this old school. And, and I remember getting up there. And uh, um, I, I mean, my dad went as far as to say this. He was like, TJ, all you got to do is tell a joke, man, and everybody will love you and you'll win. And I was like, well, I actually have to know something about mummification. He was like, well, well just tell them this. Ask them why the kid was crying. And when they ask you why, just say it's because he lost his mummy. 
Get it? Yeah. I remember that joke when, from when I was in the fourth grade. My dad encouraged me to say it because it was that bad, right? But um, I, I thought it was cool last night as I was writing and thinking about what we get to talk about and what I stand up and talk about. I mean, that was the first time I was terrified. I remember standing up in front of this classroom of people, and I won first place in public speaking. And the only reason I won first place, not because I did a great job, but is because no other kid, imagine that, no other kid talked about mummification, right? Uh, but I, I'll never forget, my dad made me feel like a king that day. And, uh, and he told me, you could be anything you want to be. You can, man, I'm proud of you. You can be anything you want to be. You can do and be anything you want to be. And I thought, man, it's the cool thing. My first time standing in front of people and talking, I was scared to death. And I was talking about how men put dead people in the ground. 18 years later, the Lord uses me on an every Sunday basis to tell men how God can make their dead hearts alive again. And, uh, and, and man, I just, I look back at that first encouragement, my dad pushing me. So to that, I say, thanks, dad. And he's here today, so um, not trying to embarrass you, just trying to say thanks. Romans 8, let's go. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, that, now, now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I read the whole thing because I'm just going to kind of dive in, and there's three things that I want us to think about this morning. I want us to think about suffering. You say, TJ, you talk about suffering a lot. Okay, I want to talk about the glory of God. I want to talk about groaning. And last but not least, I want to talk about waiting with patience for the glory that is to be revealed in us. So I want to start back at verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared or not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in the end, that see, I want you to see this picture from the very beginning. It's, it's as the writer was talking, unpacking the word to us, he's saying, hey, listen, you're going to walk through suffering now, but, but that's not the end. There's not a period there. Anybody see a period in that verse? Anybody see an end of thought in that verse? Anybody see where even he took a breath in the verse? No, he's saying, that right now we're going to walk through suffering, but this present suffering cannot be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us and in us one day. Does that get anybody pumped up this morning? I don't know about you, but it pumps me up that this present suffering is not the end of our story as believers. That our present heaviness, that our present whatever we're walking through isn't the end of the story, but rather, that Scripture goes on later to say that it's groaning, right? Rather, it's like birth pains. 
lot of us, when we're walking through suffering, we think this is the thing that's going to carry me to my grave. This is the thing that, you know, when we think about cancer, or we think about depression, we think about all these things that have happened to us or maybe happening to someone around us, and we think this is the thing taking us to the grave. But in reality, it's just like birth pains. It's the thing taking us to glory. Could, could, we take, could we just set those lenses on our eyes for a second when it comes to death? We grieve and we mourn death. Obviously, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those without hope. Why do we not grieve like those without hope? Because this is an end of the story. This is a blip on the map of glory. So I, I want to say three things that I want to stick with you that I want you to remember this morning about your suffering. Number one, while you breathe on this earth... It's inescapable. You can look at the news. I mean, you look at the news, you look at what's going on across the world, across the map, they're suffering. You, you look, at, look at the planet. I mean, just go and spend some time out in the sun and don't put on any sunblock. And it's like the sun's warring against our skin. Even there's evidence that things aren't right. The planet's trying to kill us, right? So not only just in the news, but even in your own life, in your own body, in your own heart, you can see where, where they're suffering. But then not only that, even Johnny Cash was aware of it. You might remember that guy? This is what he said. He said, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day. Anybody? I'd love to wear a rainbow every day and tell the world that everything's okay, but I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back till things are brighter. I'm the man in black. Even Johnny Cash was aware something's not right here. Even Johnny Cash, the country singer who obviously had uh, a knowledge of God and claimed to be saved later on in his life and have a relationship with the Lord, even he, when he wrote and he looked around and he was writing songs, he looked around and he said, man, there is like a shadow just kind of hovering over this planet and over this place. And, and man, it just makes me want to wear black. I mean, you think about it. Dude wore black every show of his life. How depressing. Is a reflection of his heart that couldn't reconcile glory. And I, I want you to understand what I'm trying to say. I, I, I do, you say, TJ, you're going to preach on Johnny Cash this morning. No, I'm just going to slide him in because I like him. I want to give you some guys that are a, little, a, a bit more authoritative on the subject. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you hear that this morning, folks? If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It, the apostle is telling us, if you want to live godly, if you want to swim against the current of culture, you will be persecuted. Sometimes just swimming against the current of the church means that the church will turn in on you. That's the truth. Listen, the Western church, let me say this. We are ill-equipped to handle real suffering and persecution. I said this, last, this past week to somebody. I said, the church, and, and, and I'm not talking about First Baptist. I'm talking about the organization of the church across America. In America, we are so ill-equipped to handle persecution and suffering. You just mess with somebody's style of song choice. You sit in somebody's seat. You replace a basketball goal instead of a chandelier. And watch how fast church folks will cut each other's throats. 
I mean, I know that's not comfortable because we're in church preaching about it, right? But it's the truth. So just do this with me. And just swallow it on down. Because it's the truth. We've been handed a pampered religion. An easy believism. Where you have Jesus and the apostles saying, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to see him, if you want to know him, you will suffer. And suffering has this negative connotation on it. Like Matthew 24, 9, hear the words of him who we follow. He said, then they will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my sake. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The apostle nailed it on the head. We take suffering, and if we're suffering, that it must be we're walking in sin. If we're suffering, God must be mad at us. If we're suffering, then we must just not be walking in a place of blessing yet, right? That's the way we've preached it in our generation for the last 20 or 30 years. We've exported this gospel that says the acknowledgement of God's blessing and love on you is monetary things in an easy life, and that is not the gospel. That's why Paul said, when I'm weak, when I'm in insults and hardship and persecutions and calamities, I don't take that as a sign of God not loving me. I take that as a sign that I'm His. Because He already told me if I was His, I'd be persecuted for His namesake. His namesake, I'd endure hardship and suffering for His namesake. So, number one, suffering's inescapable. Number two, listen, I want you to hear this this morning. It's not always to be blamed on Satan. Are there times it's demonically influenced? Yes. But hear me when I say this. When I listen to some people talk about their suffering and their hardship, I want you to hear me well. When I hear some people talk about their suffering and their hardship, it sounds to me from their perspective as if Satan is more in control in their life than God is. Satan did this. Satan did that. Satan did this. Anybody ever met anybody like that? If that's you this morning, I love you. And God will deliver you from that mindset. But here's the deal. Satan isn't in control. He doesn't govern your heart. If you are sons and daughters of God this morning, then hear this. Every suffering, every trial, every temptation that you walk into is for your good and the glory of God. And sometimes that goes down like a handful of nails, but it's the truth. Listen, I, I, I want to just explain something to you real quick so you, you get it, because this was liberating for me. Satan is not omnipresent. So, so when somebody on the right says, Satan did this, or the devil did this, and then somebody on the left said, he did this in my life this week, no, he didn't. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. That's what separates God from creation. That's what separates God from his creation. All things were created by him. And if you don't remember, Satan was created by God as an angel, as a worship leader in heaven, before he fell like lightning, Scripture says. Now, I know that may be unsettling. That may be just freaking some of you out. But it's the truth. We have blamed the devil and Satan for everything. And at the end of the day, some of us are giving him more glory than we're giving God. The devil's doing this. Satan's doing this. He's doing this, and he's doing this, and he's doing this. 
May it be the influence of our sin and our father, our first father, Adam, who fell and sin came into the human race. Could it be our own sin, like Paul said, fleshing out in us? Or maybe, just maybe, God's treating you like the little you lamb who continues to walk to the edge of the cliff. And rather than allowing the lamb to go over the cliff, he breaks your leg. Maybe you're like the kid that continues to run out in the street that your dad said 15 times, don't go in the street, I have something better for you. Don't go in the street, I have something better for you. And time 15, he grabs you by the nap of the neck, and if you believe in corporal punishment, he wears you out. Now, was that hateful of that father to spank their child after the 15th time of them running into the road so they got the picture? Was that hateful of him? Or was it loving? Because that momentary... That momentary light affliction of him getting his hide tanned, that light momentary affliction did not compare to the escape of the car and the ice cream his dad was taking him to get. Can we see that picture together this morning? You say, TJ, I don't really buy into what you're saying and I don't like it. I love you, but I don't care because this is what Scripture says. Psalm 51.8 Let me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. The psalmist was not praying to Satan. Anybody ever read Psalm 51? The psalmist was not praying to Satan. He wasn't saying, let me hear joy and gladness, Satan, so that the bones you broke, Satan, can rejoice. No, what's he saying? He's talking to God. And he said, let me hear joy and gladness so that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, this is speaking about him going and talking to Paul, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. One of the first things Jesus said about Paul is, hey, I want you to go to him. I want you to let, you know that, let him know that he's called, that I have a plan, and I want to let him know how much he's going to suffer. You're like, TJ, you're doom and gloom this morning. No, I'm getting to the glory. Just hang with me. I just want you to hear this. We so often blame Satan. And we give him glory for our current situation. We give him glory for the broken leg. I mean, I mean, you think about this from a, from a biblical perspective. You think about Paul and Silas when they were sitting in jail. They could have said, we were preaching the gospel in the streets and, and, and the enemies come in and he's put us in jail. And most of us would nod and say, yeah, the enemy don't like the preaching of the gospel. He put you in jail. But it was at the midnight hour when they were sitting in the jail cell that they began to sing songs in the middle of their suffering and God delivered them and the prisoners and converted somebody. The prison was light and momentary so that God would get glory and other people would come to know him. So this morning, listen, the suffering that you're walking through, this present suffering might just be the vehicle. It might not be some ploy from the enemy, but it may be the vehicle that God is using to transport you from where you are to your calling or your destiny. This present suffering may be the vehicle that God's using to transport you from where you are to your calling and your destiny. If you were to ask Job, you've heard me say this before. If you were to ask Job, Job, did God hate you by having you thrown over into the ocean? I'm, I'm sorry. That's not Job, that's Jonah. 
If you were to ask Jonah, say, Jonah, did God hate you by throwing you into the ocean? And Jonah would say, no, because God had a fish ready to swallow me. Well, that seems like suffering, man. You were thrown into the ocean. Well, yeah. It was horrible. Then he was coughed up. He was vomited up onto an ocean shore. Does God, God, no, no, he was transporting me to my destiny. He might not have liked the vehicle God used, covered in well slime. Might have been uncomfortable. It might have been embarrassing on the boat when, when everybody says, why is this tempest, why is this tempest come? Why are these seas? And he had to stand up and say, hey, guys, it's because I'm being disobedient to God. Just throw me over and you'll be good. Read the narrative. That's how the story goes. My bad. Throw me overboard. And listen, from the other end, at the end of the day, I I want to share this story with you real quick before we move on from suffering. Uh, Nick plays guitar up here on Sunday. That's Nick Blankenship. He does a great job. He's an awesome singer. He's a man of God, and I respect him. Um, We played in a band together for about eight years. Five, eight, I don't know, it was a long time. He's like my brother. And I remember he was working for a land surveying company one time. And, uh, and he was walking through the woods, and um, he slipped on an embankment. And was his le- it was your cord hand, right? Yeah, it was his cord hand. He slipped on an embankment, and he had a machete in his hand. And instead of grabbing the handle, he went for the handle, and his hand slipped, and it sliced through three of his fingers that he plays with. Now, we played almost every week back then. And I remember... Pleading with God one night. Man, I was just brokenhearted. I got this picture from my friend Johnny, and Nick was sitting in the passenger seat. looked like he, he'd been, I mean, he's just depressed. And the doctor was like, hey, you may have tendon damage. You may not be able to bend your fingers anymore. Like, all this stuff, right? And I remember pleading with God in the middle of the night. I, I was pleading with God, God, give him his fingers back. He's got to play the guitar, Lord. That's his comfort. That's his joy, Lord. That's what, you know, that's kind of his escape. That's what we do as a band. And the Lord, as clear as I've ever heard, it wasn't some audible voice, but this rose up in my spirit. And I, I, I could clearly discern the Lord telling me to tell Nick, I know his guitar is his comfort, but I want to be his comfort. I know his guitar is his escape, but I want to be his escape. So I called Nick and I said, man, you may think I'm a freak. And you probably don't want to hear this right now with your hand wrapped up. I said, but God wants you to walk through this process because he wants to be your joy. He wants to be your comfort and he wants to be your source. Listen, through that time of him having his hand cut, he began to dig in the word and and dig in and read. He's read more theological books than I probably will in my life and just studying about the nature of God and who God is. And God used his hand being cut, almost losing fingers to transport him to his destiny as a man of God who could lead people in worship and truly say, hey, if it's gone, I'm good because I have him. I'm not doing that to lift him up or to build him up this morning, but at the same time I am because he's pretty awesome and because God was glorious in that moment. And I want to encourage you. You may be sitting with literally smashed fingers, a smashed heart, a smashed past, and you may be looking at it saying, I may never be able to function the same again. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a believer, God's going to use that to transport you to your calling, your destiny, and to be more like Him. So the last purpose, the the last point on suffering this morning is that it's purposeful. I I want to give you three quick things. It links us with Christ. Romans 8, 17, we read this last week and we kind of brushed over it, so I wanted to remind you. It says, now if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. So number one, it's purposeful in our lives. It links us with Christ. It's our identification with Christ. Number two, it leads us to greater dependence on him. 
What did he say? What did, the, what did the apostles say? You think I'm weak because I'm being crushed, but what I realize is I'm being made strong because I'm leaning on Christ. I'm not trusting my own mind or my own will or my own dependency. I'm throwing everything aside and trusting fully in the Savior. And that's where my strength lies. So it's purposeful because it links you with Christ. It draws you to greater dependence on God. And listen, suffering oftentimes, I want you to see this because I, I want you to be careful. It does one of two things in our lives. It does one of two things. If you can imagine this morning the thieves on the cross, there was a thief on the left and a thief on the right. And suffering for one thief, it humbled him to the point where he cried out, man, just remember me when you get into your kingdom. But the other thief on the other side, it hardened him. His suffering hardened him to a place where he said, if you really are the son of God, just take yourself down. In the midst of his suffering, he scoffed at God, joined in with the, with the, joined in with the persecutors who were standing beneath him. If you, yeah, if you're Jesus, if you're God, if you're the God you say you are, take yourself down, take us with you. So be careful this morning, church. Allow your suffering to humble you to the point to where you say, all I want is you. Don't let it harden you this morning. Pray against the hardening of your heart in the midst of suffering so that you don't scoff against God. I want you to hear this. Point number two, as we move on. As we move from suffering, somebody go, Get your eyes on the glory. You hear me this morning? This light and momentary affliction. Why did he use these words? Light and momentary. Because to the proportion that they are compared to the glory that we will get to see, that we will get to, to be a part of, there's no comparison. He could call beatings and floggings and shipwreck. He could call imprisonment. For the majority of his ministry, light and momentary. Why? Because he had seen the glory. So this morning, I want to encourage you, church, get your eyes on the glory of God. I want to encourage you real quick. Hear this. His glory will be revealed to us and in us. We will not be observers of his glory. We will be part of his glory. Listen to this. His glory will be revealed in our personhood. We will have glorified bodies. I want you just for a minute to imagine with me. Are you ready? Hearts that can never fail. Brains that can never develop tumors. Lungs incapable of having cancer. Eyes that will never grow dim. Hearing that is always full and crystal clear. Make no mistake, God will give us glorified bodies and we will be like Him. I don't know about you, but the idea, and this morning, uh, just thinking about this message, living in the moment of this message, when uh, my dog was barking at like 4.30 this morning, so I go outside and there's this thing moving across my yard, and you say, TJ, well, why did you call it a thing? Because I didn't have my contacts, and I had no idea what it was. It could have been a deer, it could have been a dog, it could have been a chupacabra. I have no idea. It could have been finding Bigfoot. I would have been famous. No clue. By the way, I don't think Bigfoot's real, just don't know. Why? Because I didn't have my contacts in. In that moment, even this morning, God was reminding me, hey, TJ, light and momentary. Light and momentary. You can't see now, but oh, the man, oh, man, the things you'll see one day. TJ, your, your, your vision's blurry right now, but man, one day the things you will see, the things you will behold, the thing you will be. This morning, as, as, as you got out of bed and you, some of the more seasoned congregants this morning may have had aches and pains and had to stretch a little extra. 
there will be a day where there will be a day where there's no more aches and no more pains. Do you hear me? There's no more contacts. There's no more glasses. We, we don't ever talk about this enough. We minimize this often. But this is a part of suffering. He said, if you suffer, this is what you get. Because you've been identified with Christ, because you've allowed the work of Christ and the glory of Christ to be made evident in your life, because of those things, you will get to see the glory. Because you've been redeemed by the King of Kings, you've been purchased by the Lamb of God, you will be glorified. You won't, it's, not like sitting on the, it's not like sitting on the sidelines and saying, man, the glory of God really is cool. It's like being in the middle of the game and being part of the glory of God. No decay, no disease, no hunger, no suffering, no separation from loved ones, no angst over decisions, no debt, no stress. You will be glorified. You will be in the glory of God. And man, that just pumps me up this morning. I'm, only, I'm, only, I'm, I'm going to be 29 in August, so I'm a young guy, Right? All the older guys, yeah, there you go. But even at 20, 28, going on 29, I look and say, man, I can't wait for the day. I can't wait for the day that I don't have to lay another family member to rest because of cancer. And, and in my family, there's been a bunch of them, sure, some in even your own. I can't wait for the day to where I want to worship God, but but I'm too frustrated with myself or I'm too frustrated with my sin or I can't wait for the day that I want to just approach God and I want to worship but because of my sin and the week because I lost my temper or because I struggle with lust or pride or insecurity I feel ashamed and don't want to stand before him I can't wait till the day that my heart my soul, my mind, my body is glorified and I am just with him can you imagine church so our, our, our personhood will be glorified but check this out. Glory will also be revealed in creation. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to hear this. Then I saw the new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the, seas, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the voice of the throne, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I want you to hear this. A new heaven and a new earth and a new body is coming. New heaven, new earth, no suffering, new body on its way for the believer. As soon as this suffering's done, as soon as this life is done, it is realized. But can I tell you, that is not the greatest joy we have in him today. You say, man, well, that's, that's a joy to think about. A new body, a new mind, a soul purified from sin. Listen, not only do we get a new body, not only do we get a new earth and a new heaven, not only do we get a son, well, we don't even need the son, Scripture says, not only will we get all things made new, we get him. We get him. I want you to hear this. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10.9 says the Lord is his inheritance. See, a lot of times when we, when we preach it, we pitch it like this. Streets of gold, walls of jasper. Man, when you know him, when you see him, when you find out who he is and what he's done, forget the walls, forget the gold. I want him. I want to be with Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to be in the glory. 
Listen, no more groaning, no more weeping, no more sin, no more regret, no more wrestling with insecurities, fear, shame, you name it. All will be vanquished in the glory of our beloved. Here, I want you to hear Jonathan Edwards' words. One of the greatest theologians, in my opinion, that ever lived. He said this. The redeemed have all their objective good in God. God himself is the great good which they are brought to the possession and the enjoyment of by redemption. He is the highest good and the sum of all that good which Christ purchased. God is the inheritance of the saints. He is the portion of their soul. Listen to this. God is their wealth and their treasure, their food and their life, their dwelling place, their ornament and diadem, and their everlasting honor and glory. They have none in heaven but God. He is the great good which the redeemed are received to at death, and which they are raised to at the end of the world. The Lord God is the light of the heavenly Jerusalem. Do you hear me this morning? He's what we get don't maximize your suffering this morning and think it's the end of the world Paul is telling us it's like birth pains it's like birth pains you think this thing's taking you to your to your death this thing is taking you to glory because when it's all said and done you get God so let me let you wrestle with this question if you could have heaven without God today would you be cool with that Walls of jasper, streets of gold, no suffering, no pain. Joy and delight. Without the suffering servant Jesus and without God the Father and Holy Spirit in perfect triumphal beauty, would you be okay with that? The new body isn't the goal. The new earth and the new heaven isn't the goal. The walls of jasper, the streets goal, gates of pearl. That's not the goal. That's not the aim this morning. God is the aim and God is the goal. God is the gospel this morning. That's who you get. So when I ask you this, do you know him? Can you share in that angst this morning when you think, man, I don't, because if you know Jesus, if you've met Jesus, then you, you, you say, man, you're like Paul. I mean, you, you, could, you could leave me on the street as a beggar. You could put me up in the palace. It makes no difference. I just want Jesus. I want you to hear this last, last part of the verse, and we're going to wrap up. It says, For this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But we, if we for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When you translate that out in the Greek, it, it gives this word picture. We wait with eager expectation, or we wait with patience. It gives this word picture of someone standing on their tiptoes in a crowd. It gives this picture of someone craning their neck to see. The apostle says, don't get caught up in this light and momentary affliction, but rather be like this, wait for him. Stand on your tiptoes in life, in the midst of your suffering. Realize that it's light and momentary, and on your tiptoes get and look for the return of your Savior, because there's a promise, he is coming back. He's coming to redeem the world. He's coming to redeem his sons and daughters, to give us new bodies, a new heaven, a new earth. But more than that, he's coming to give us himself in full. No barriers, no bounds. No need for mediation any longer. Us and God standing together, living together, enjoying his glory forever. 
We get God. Man, I hope you feel that this morning. I hope you feel that angst and that joy. We get God. All the joy, all the peace, all the blessing, all the desire, all the comfort. We get God. He wants you to have him. His desire is for you. So I, I want to close like this. I want to just ask you a couple questions and I, I want to pray a verse over you and we'll respond. Nick, you can come on, man. Have you been sidelined in your suffering? Brother, sister, mom, dad, when it comes to your faith walk, have you been sidelined in your suffering? Were you in the game pursuing Christ? But some present suffering, some hardship, some heartache, some diagnosis, some gossip, some lie about you, some whatever has sidelined you and pushed you to a corner to where you can't enjoy life and you can't enjoy God. Listen, I just want to remind you that that suffering is identifying you with Christ. It's working in you so that you look like Him and bring others to Him. And it's light and momentary because you get God. Have you grown cold? Are you the thief on the cross that has allowed suffering to take root in your heart and turn to bitterness? And, and now rather than running to God for delight and enjoyment in the midst of suffering, you're pointing, pointing at God, scoffing. Pointing at God with frustration and bitterness. Listen, He loves you in spite of your frustration and bitterness towards Him. He loves you. He wants you. I want you to hear this verse. Isaiah 33, 2. O oh Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. It's real simple. Would you pray that this morning? When, when we have this time of response, whether you're, you're standing or, or sitting or kneeling, whatever you do, you know we, the, the altar here is open and, and our prayer team is over to, to your right if, if you want to pray. But would you, would you be bold enough to just pray, Oh God, be gracious to me. I wait for you. God, I've, I've, been, I've been held down by my suffering, but I want to be on my tiptoes looking for you in the crowd, Jesus. I want you to be my delight. I want you to be my all in all. I want to enjoy the fact that when I see you, I get you. No matter what suffering I walk through, no matter what I walk through here, I get God. Would you make that your prayer this morning? God, be gracious to me. I wait for you. Whisper it this morning. Say it out loud. I don't care how you do it, but in your mind, in your heart, maybe you don't want to say anything out loud, and that's cool. Don't want to come out here, that's cool. But what if you would this morning just say, oh God, be gracious to me. I wait for you. Or say it like this, God, be gracious. I want to wait for you. I want to be on my tiptoes for you, Jesus. I want to treasure and delight in you and you alone. Let me pray for you and we'll respond. Father, I do believe this morning that you are our wealth. You are our food. You're our portion. You're all that we have. Lord, it's just like Tozer said back in the day, God. Lord, when we have God, we have all things in you. When we get you, when we have you, we have all things in you. And Jesus, I pray for your sons and daughters in the room this morning, God. I pray for them. And I pray for myself that we would, that we would learn to love being yours. That we would learn to love, to delight in having you. 
and you alone because you're not just enough, God. Lord, you're overflowing. You're bountiful, God. You're all we need and more and more and more. So God, this morning, we, we just pray simply as we respond, be gracious to us. We wait for you. We wait for you, Jesus.